This is the Actual Fluency Podcast, helping you become a better language learner by providing motivating weekly inspiration, as well as top tips and tricks from expert guests. And now, your host, Chris Broholm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast. This is your host, Chris Broholm. And today I'm excited to bring you one of the last episodes of 2015. And this is a two-parter with uh, Richard Benton, who I met in New York City for the Polyglot Conference. And we talked for over two hours, so <laughs> I had to cut it up in two episodes just to uh, you know, make it a little easy for you when you're listening to this. I know uh, my personal focus is definitely not two hours uh, long. So you're going to be getting the first part this week and then i will send out the last part next week and richard benson is an extremely interesting person and i'm really happy to have connected with him i saw his talk in new york as well as we get into in the interview um, he is really passionate about language learning in the local community meaning instead of asking people who move to a country like the cases with america to learn english and um, why don't the residents of the community learn the other languages and that's what he's basically trying to do uh, as well as a ton of other good stuff so I'm really I had such a great time recording this episode and it's funny that these two last episodes have been you know such monsters in terms of length Uh, but I think that's what happens when you run into interesting people you just you just get completely or at least I do I get completely um, baffled by the uh, interesting nature of the conversation so I don't I don't want to terminate it, you know, I want to keep it going forever. And I know some people out there, some of you guys are probably going to be like, oh, this is way too long for me. I mean, you guys are just rambling. Uh, but I know at least some of you will appreciate sort of the the reasoning behind it and, and the topics that we discuss as they are very current and they are, um, you know, very good topics, I think. They're very inspirational. And uh, as somebody, when I was living in Denmark, for instance, who never even considered to learn the top to learn the languages or even some in within the language of the uh, immigrants of Denmark you know I just feel like this topic needs more attention you know uh, how how much cooler would it have been if I learned some Arabic when I when I lived in in Denmark there's a there's a large Arabic population or Arabic speaking population sorry and you know how cool would it have been but we get into this and a lot more I don't want to <laughs> take too long to uh here in the intro to talk about it, as it is a quite a long episode but uh, I hope you enjoyed it anyway and uh, just a heads up if you haven't picked up my little ebook I wrote recently Polyglot Beginnings uh, a guide on how to develop the right mindset for learning languages and it also includes my complete story of how I went from depression to two new languages so far <laughs> hopefully uh, working on some more uh, Hungarian at the moment it's really tough but anyway um, yeah you can get that on actualfluency.com forward slash beginnings or just click the book in the right sidebar it's completely free and when you download it you also join my email club where I send weekly top tips and newsletters so you know what's not to like so see you there and enjoy this interview with Richard Benton Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. Richard Benton, who's a lover of languages and authors the Loving Language blog. He also speaks to audiences in the for-profit and educational sectors on the topic of language learning and diversity. Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks. 
Fantastic. So a lover of languages, like, uh, like met so many others. Uh, how did you get into language learning in the first place? So I got started with languages relatively early. I was starting in middle school. So around like sixth or seventh grade, I had a friend who was studying French and he knew the stuff that I couldn't stand not knowing also. So I got involved studying French then. And I liked French. Um, fine, I did well. I, I did well in school in general, so it wasn't so hard to get into French well. But then over a summer uh, in about ninth, eighth grade, I went to ninth grade, I went to, uh, I went away for the summer and took an intensive German class. And I've just recently realized how much of a turning point that was for me to really get me hooked. I had a, a professor, so it was a professor, even though I was like 14 years old or 13 years old. And um, it was a three week intensive German class. And we spent the first week on pronunciation. Wow. And it was, and we had to just do the alphabet over and over and over again. And it was yeah, hours a day and everything. And he was all about speaking and pronouncing. And I just loved it. I had such a good time. And this, um, this place that I went to for intensive German, they actually had all different kinds of classes in all different areas. And at the end, they would have like a talent show. And every year his class would perform uh, a poem in German, but act it out so everyone could understand. And so we did the Elkönig by Goethe. And so we had to memorize, so we memorized Goethe. So by the end of three weeks, I knew Goethe and I had memorized <laughs> Goethe, but we had to pronounce it and we had to say it and not just say it, we had to act it out in front of a group. And it was such a fantastic way to have to speak your language, even if you're not conversational get up on stage <laughs> in front of hundreds of people and start speaking. And um, I still remember the and I still remember the poem and everything. So that really got me hooked. So then I went back to high school and I was doing French and I was doing German. And then I started doing um, anything I could. Uh, my German teacher was from the Netherlands. So I approached her and I said, hey, I want you to teach me Dutch. And so I would go over to her house for lunch. She retired. And so I went to her house once a week for Dutch. And then I started taking Russian in an adult education evening class. I took Italian in an evening class. And then I started taking Russian at school. Um, I, and then like at the point that I can, uh, then my senior year in high school, uh, last year in high school, I was an exchange student to France and there was no looking back. Then I was looking at colleges and I was just looking at, what are your what languages do you teach at your university and where are your study abroad programs and that will decide what i do from now on and so i went to college i was a linguistics major i had taken at the same place where i taken german i had taken an intro to linguistics class um and so yeah so already by by 18 there was like i was a language guy there was you know no turning back at this point i remember too um this was in the, this is still in the eighties. And so I remember in learning Russian, uh, you know, oftentimes I hear on the podcast, people talking about the, the sources and the, the apps they use and stuff like that. I remember going to the bookstore and you could get a, a month old Pravda newspaper for $5. Oh my God. <laughs> and that was your, and that was your monthly read, you know, and I, I would see that same Brown newspaper there <laughs> weeks after weeks, because it took a month for another one to come in. And uh, so um, that's how we, uh, that's how I uh, um, got started doing languages and just, that's what I've been doing ever since. 
fantastic but i mean five dollars is a lot of money in the 80s isn't it i mean that's <laughs> that's might be cheaper than uh, rosetta stone today i, I don't know <laughs> but anyway that's a that's a fantastic story and I, I love how you just got obsessed and you just wanted more and more and and do you think that's do you think that's common with the language learning that it kind of opens up the um, the proverbial you know uh not can of worms, but uh, the Alice in Wonderland story of uh, the rabbit hole, it opens up a whole new world. I love the image of the rabbit hole. Yeah, I totally, I, I chased that white rabbit and I was down the hole and I was in Wonderland. I mean, it was, it, it was a world, I like the, I like the metaphor a lot, Chris. It's like, it's in a world where nothing really makes sense to anybody and you're just trying to make sense of what's going on around you you know everyone everyone is speaking nonsense around you and you have to just listen and ask questions and try to figure out what is this nonsense and is there some way of making sense of it is everyone just crazy or can we make sense of this somehow and that's what it was and then you know i just every time i'm like what's going on there what's going on there when i was in france um i was in uh, um there was a, a week of um kind of acculturation camp outside of Paris before we went to our host families. And, um, you know, I made good friends with a couple of Norwegian guys and I'm like, no, I gotta, I gotta learn Norwegian now. I gotta <laughs> find out how I'm going to learn Norwegian, you know? And, uh, and I would learn, you know, a couple words here and there, but I like got myself a book. I mean, already when I was in, when I was in high school, my family took a trip to Europe and I was in the UK. It was a lot easier to get language books in the UK than it was to get in the U.S. This is pre Amazon, you know? Yeah, and I came home with a duffel bag just of language books that I collected throughout Europe, and um, you know, I I was you know sixteen, and like in my mind, I'm like, at least I'll have. And now you kind of see what's uh, what came of that. Uh, <laughs> a lot of my language books behind me. So yeah, that's what happens. It's like one comes to another, comes to another, comes to another, and now it's not enough. It's like I meet somebody, I'm like, oh, you speak that language. What other languages do you speak? You know, I meet someone from India or from East Africa or something. I'm like, oh, what language do you speak? They'll say Amharic or Hindi or something. I'm like, what else do you speak? <laughs> Tell me how to say something in all the languages you know. And right. uh, I, yeah, that's how it keeps going. One just one just falls on the other. Yeah, it's funny, and uh, particularly in Europe, if if uh, you ask someone uh, what language you speak, and they happen to say one you don't speak, and you're always like, well, what else? Because we're in Europe, you know, <laughs> there must be something else. <laughs> yeah, no, and we have an exchange student staying with us now um, from the Basque country, and I'm like. Now I have to do Basque. Yeah. <laughs> I just, that's my fate. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I find that one of the most natural ways to learn languages is just what are you in contact with? And we'll, we'll talk, talk about that in a moment. But do you think that the lack of resources for learning actually could be, could be beneficial in a way? Because right now we are so spoiled for choice. It seems like there's a lot of, you know, selection problems going on where constantly you're evaluating is this even working? Am I doing the right thing? Should I try Pimser or Rosetta Stone? Or should I use Duolingo? Should I use this, this, or this? Or should I use these one of these? I mean, if you type in like learn Russian books on Amazon, you'll probably get like hundreds of replies. And it's, right. it's so hard to choose. Uh, what Do you think there are some benefits in just having a simple immersion method where you just pick up, let's say, the newspaper and you just you just have to learn it. There's no kind of beating around the bush with it. 
That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of it uh, because I didn't grow up learning languages in the digital digital atmosphere you know i didn't i was in meat space i was in cyberspace learning languages you know italki you can meet someone who speaks every language and have them teach you their language i mean if i had that i think i would have been in the same <laughs> position like which one do i choose i mean it i remember i w wanted to learn a little bit of swedish and i was when i was in high school i went to the library and they had like the only thing they had was like a record of like berlitz of swedish phrases like that was it wow. so yeah you don't decide like is this the best method for learning <laughs> swedish like well i just uh it, the only you know i recorded it onto a cassette so i could listen to it in my walkman like that's the only that's the only different medium i had you know so i think probably it is a little bit difficult i mean my attitude has been like just take something and just just use the heck out of it don't wonder if it's giving you great results because with language learning i mean once you get started doing, do, once you get started doing one method, um, it takes a long time to really see fruit. So trying to decide like, okay, has this week proven this method or not? You know, you're not going to know. And then the other thing is that as, as long as you're getting input and as long as you're trying to speak a little bit, like that's pretty much it. I mean, when I learned German in this intensive course, the textbook I had was my, was my professor's. It was like 12 pages long. Like it was just like, here are the conjugation stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, we're not going to mess with grammar. Let's just keep talking. And then we had a graded re reader that we'd use sometimes, but mostly he was just trying to get us to just speak and memorize and, you know, things like that. Yes. But then there are other languages where, you know, you don't have so many resources. So, you know, in learning Somali, which I've been doing now for, for a while, there's not a lot of resources, like two books. And so, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't run into that, uh, uh, embarrassment of riches. Right. Well, you know what to write when you've, uh, mastered the language, then you can write, uh, Benton on Somali. <laughs> I've got, I've got some, I've got some things here and there. Like I've got some scraps of some things on my, on my blog and stuff just for resources. I just realized there's not a lot of resources and trying to find them is kind of a hassle. So I just, as I find new resources, I put them on the blog just so people can have it. Um, and so, yeah, it's there and it's been handy for people. Even it's funny, there's a huge diaspora Somali community. And so a lot of young people who grew up hearing Somali, but don't speak it so great, who now are enthusiastic about learning. So those kinds of resources are really helpful for those Somali kids who are trying to learn Somali. Right. You hear that a lot, uh, the, in, 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 I guess all, all countries where there's a, a new generation, um, after uh, immigrants, or I guess it's later uh, generations too. Uh, I, I was, I've seen it a lot with the, um, I think it was when I was living in London, I saw it a lot with the Chinese population where they would understand their parents or their uh, family, but they couldn't speak it. So they would reply in English instead, which is an extremely interesting <laughs> situation really. Uh, but I guess that's the same that, that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That they're just listening they're just listening so they they understand it intuitively but they don't they can't reply because they haven't had that uh, they haven't used it i guess that's the whole point we're coming to you need to use the language to be able to uh, to to speak it um so yeah i don't right um, and i i just go ahead yeah i've seen recently a couple of stories in the us of um chinese americans who some of them whose 
they uh, they've spent time away from a parent or another, one or the other parent for an extended period and end up not being able to speak with their parent or um, uh, with Filipinos that happens in the US too. I think uh, Philip, uh, uh, Filipino Tagalog is like, is one of the major languages in the US. Um, and uh, so there's a huge population. It's the third most widely spoken language in California, oh. for example. Um, it's, uh, but there's a big population of kids who can't speak to their grandparents. Right. At least, but at least that answers the question, what language should I learn? If you're, if you're sitting there, if you're listening to the podcast and you're of Filipino heritage and you don't speak the language and you want to speak to your grandmother, there's your first language to learn, I would say. Some I, you know, and that's the thing. I, yeah, I think, and you mentioned that, Chris, like, um, what languages do you have access to? You know, and I think that's a, that's a big deal. And uh, learning heritage languages, I think, is really important. Um, and that's in learning the languages, learning the languages around you. I mean, that's, that's, that's my, that's my big thing recently is what languages are you hearing? You want to know what language to, to speak, listen, what are you hearing? And in the U S we have a lot of people learning Spanish and it makes a lot of sense because <clears throat> you can speak Spanish all the time. I mean, you can live your life in Spanish, even I mean, live in Minnesota. You can live even in Minnesota with speaking, mo you know, 90% Spanish if you want. Um, so what are you hearing around you? What, and, and that's a good thing to just start on learning. Right. So how we were talking just about how you were learning, uh, back in the day, uh, w without all these fancy digital tools and apps and softwares and new fancy books. And, <laughs> uh, have you, have you adopted any of these fancy new techniques for your ongoing language learning or are you, are you staying a traditionalist in that area? No, I, I, <clears throat> I like, um, Anki is my, is like my go-to. And, uh, so Anki flashcards is my go-to. Um, you know, that's my, my morning routine is I do Anki and, um, sometimes that's all I got time for, but I'll always make time for that every day. Um, if I see, you know, if I see my stats and I see one of the bars missing, I'm like, ah, oh, I missed that day. And, um, <laughs> so that's my go-to and, you know, that might, and that's not a huge amount of time, you know, I'll spend, uh, you know, as little as, you know, 10 minutes, even less some days, you know, but just go through my cards. Um, I started using, um, memorize just recently in the past few weeks and I like it, um, because of the different methods and it's, you know, it does a lot of the thinking for you. I mean, with Anki, the hardest part after a while is finding new words and getting new words. And I haven't been spending the time doing my reading in Somali, which I should, to get more words or going out in the community and getting some new words and that sort of thing. Um, actually, now that I think about it, I've got a few words I could be adding, but, um, <laughs> you know, working on, you know, working on that sort of thing. I, so I like, I like that as an app, Anki, Memorize. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, other than that, I, um, you know, I tr try to collect collect information. That's the other thing is, is there's the one for practicing language. There's the other for um, collecting information when there's not a lot out there. So I try to use, I'm trying to use more and more technology, more and more resources to try to uh, expand what I've got. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, you touched on an interesting point there with the morning routine, because uh, obviously it's quite early right now. And I, I was, I questioned that a few minutes ago and you, you said you were in, uh, early right so how do you think that uh, is beneficial to language learning so you know it it's actually it's actually really helpful for me if i'm just trying to, if i'm trying to memorize stuff and go through my cards 
I see a huge difference if I do it in the morning. Some some mornings I'm super busy. I don't have to, you know, I, or I've got an early meeting or something like that. <clears throat> and I have to uh, do my do my cards, you know, over lunch or something like that. Um, and it's not, it doesn't go as fast. I make more mistakes. Um, it doesn't come as quickly. Now, maybe it's just because my brain doesn't think it's card time. You know, it's not Anki time. What are you trying to do to me? Or is it because it's just, you know, it's not the morning, but I think doing it first thing in the morning has been really helpful for me. My, um, for memorizing and for focusing, I'm not someone who focuses easily. And so for focusing first thing in the morning is the best, get a cup of coffee and get my Anki and I'm ready to go. Wow. Yeah. I, I had sort of a similar experience. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you, you feel the same. Cause it, I think it's this old, um, that people keep telling me that discipline is like, um, an elastic band. Like you can pull it all day with various little things that you have to do, but eventually it's just going to snap. Mm. And you know, the elastic band works best when you just start pulling it because that's when you got the most amount of discipline. Mm. So, um, yeah. So another tip for people who say they don't have time to learn languages, you know, get up half an hour earlier and, and do some stuff there. I, I, I'm definitely one of the worst at getting up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I do it, it's a huge difference in productivity also because yeah. you start your day with a win, right? So you right. a day is just carried by that uh, positive change. And it gets me, it gets me kind of warmed up in the morning. If I bump into a Somali and I've done my cards in the morning, it's easier than if I bump into some and I have done my cars in the morning, you know, it's that, it's that, you know, when I travel sometimes it's hard. Um, but, and, you know, but I'm out and about and, uh, you know, in a lot of places I've been there, but a, a lot of Somali cab drivers around, uh, I've noticed even in, uh, in airports here for some reason, that's where I see a lot. And, uh, so, you know, in Phoenix and San Diego, I bumped into Somalis and I better be very ready to go with my, with my Somali, you know, I want it, I want to be warmed up and ready to go if possible. Right. And, um, have you ever, um, have you ever like learned a new sentence or a new phrase from your cards and then met someone right after and then panicked and didn't use any of it? <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you hit close to home there, my friend. It's, uh, <laughs> all the time, all the time. I, um. I can even remember a specific instance. I was just trying to say like, I was born, this was horrible. I learned how to say I was born in Somali. And um, I was at a, a work picnic and there was the, and there were these couple of Somali, young Somalis uh, who were interns. And my boss says, oh, Richard, he knows Somali. He's awesome. You should talk to him. And they asked me where I was from. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. And I was like, I said, I don't know in Somali. <laughs> wow, it was a good start. Good start. <laughs> so then I went home and I'm like, that I'm never, I'm never going to do that again. So then I went home and I, and I learned it, you know, but right. uh, you know, it's like terrorism. You're always fighting. You're always fighting the last attack. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I mean, yeah, I feel it every day too. That's why I was, I was just curious if you felt the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. Definitely. But you know, that's the thing about just repeating it and repeating it. And, um, you know, it's funny because I joke that there's like, I mean, I love Benny's, uh, uh line of make a hundred mistakes a day. I mean, that's, that's my favorite. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is just like, I've asked several people, you know, that I bump into, how do you say this, the same thing, you know, it's like, um, one of the things I've had to memorize is, 
um, why are you learning Somali? Of because course, that because that comes up in every conversation when I start speaking Somali to somebody. And so I'm like, you know, I don't even know exactly how they're asking it. I know they're asking it by now, but I can't say exactly. So then the next time I bumped into somebody, I said, uh, okay, uh, what do you, um, how do you say this again? And then I like wrote it down and everything. And I'm trying to use more technology. I got a, a, a Samsung note so I can like scribble down notes where I'm, where I'm, wherever I'm going. Um, I'm trying to do more audio. I did, uh, I was asking a question of somebody recently in, uh, I, that, I did a, a post on my blog, uh, a proverb in uh, Somali. And so I recorded, um, I recorded the audio. That was just someone walking down the street, same street I was. I'm like, what is, hey, I just saw this thing. And I, t I took a photo of the, of a, of a, of a poster that was in Somali. And then I like, hey, can you help me understand this? And then he helped me understand it. And I'm like, and it was a, kind of a translation of an English proverb. Um, and I was like, is there a better Somali proverb for that? And then he told me, I'm like, okay, now I want to record that. So we have it, you know, so anyway, it's, it's good to use all those different technologies, but you know, it's um, the great thing I found is it, it just, it's a great way of starting conversations with people around. I mean, for people, here's the thing I think is really helpful for people who are more introverted, people who are more um, intimidated about just going up and, and, and ask and, and talking to somebody. Um, I think the best thing you can do actually is rather than go up and quote, talk to somebody, unquote, have two questions ready. <clears throat> I ran into this thing in my language and I don't get it. And, um, <clears throat> And then just go up and say, excuse me, you know, learn how to say, do you speak such and such a language? Say that. And then you can say in English, hey, can you help me with this thing? Just this, I have this one question. It would be really helpful if you could help me with that. So just have one to two questions you're already ready for. And then all of a sudden you can get into a, um, you can get into a discussion. I mean, this really started for me kind of recently and um, I was giving a talk at a local, um, it's a network of Minnesota uh, NGOs. And I was talking about how, you know, people working for NGOs, you know, you're in contact with people all the time who speak other languages. Are you taking the opportunity to learn their language? You know, you, and, you know, cause they're traveling, they're, they're speaking online to people. Are you t making the effort? And I told these people from an NGO perspective, I said, hey, now let me just ask you this you're dealing with people who you're helping. The reason why you're helping them is because uh, they're in a bad um, social situation, even physical situation. They don't have a lot of resources. Their time is spent just on survival and you're trying to help them. Why would you wait for them to learn English? <laughs> you've got all the resources, you've got all the time, you've got you know the internet, you've got everything you need to learn that language and you're making them get the education? That was that was my talk. And um, so then I get out of there and it just happens to be at the University of Minnesota, which is right like across the street from the biggest concentration of Somalis in the Twin Cities. Wow. Uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. So I come out and I'm like running into people. I'm like, all right, Rich, time for the rubber to hit the road. And uh, so I'm like, I gotta learn something. I gotta figure out something. So I went to the the light rail stop and I just kind of, was walking up and down the, 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 the platform looking for some idle looking Somali who looked like he didn't have anything better to do than talk to me. And, uh, and I just went up and I said, Hey, 
I said, uh, do you speak Somali? And he kind of gave me a funny look naturally and, and, uh, which I'm very used to. And, uh, so we started speaking and I was taking the, the train to the airport and he worked at the airport. So we were on for the whole time together and I was writing stuff down and he said, Hey, hey no, no, don't write it like that. Write it like this. And he was like correcting me and stuff like, no, 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 that's not right. And he was giving me different variations and stuff like that. And this is just a simple airport worker. You know, he's not a professor. Right. And, you know, if we have the right attitude, and I say this in all my talks, if we have the right attitude, um, we see that we're surrounded by teachers. And if we take the attitude that we're surrounded by teachers, I mean, look, you know, you're in Budapest. I mean, walk outside the door and it's like PhDs walking up and down the road, you know, from five years old up. They're PhDs in Hungarian. Yeah. It's just a matter of which one are you going to, which one are you going to grab to teach you for the day, you know? Exactly. And that's really what we can be doing in any city, amazingly, you know, it may be harder to find, but there are people who know a lot of stuff. Um, the, the story of um, the, the, forget his name now, he does the um, Endangered Language Project in, uh, in New York City. And he spoke at the, the Polyglot Conference also. He had a great story where he was trying to learn about uh, these Central American indigenous languages. And so he went to a Mexican restaurant and he just said, hey, you know, to the waiter or something, hey, do you happen to know anyone who speaks one of these indigenous languages? And he said, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, if either I'm super, super lucky or there's tons of these languages that are being spoken and we have no idea. And that was an inspiration to me. I'm like, what's going on under the surface? There are people who speak languages who won't even admit it. Meet a, every time you meet a Chinese person, I ask, I'll ask you to do this. Ask a Chinese person, how many languages do you speak? More than likely, they speak, they speak Mandarin, but then they also speak one or even two local languages. Right. So you're dealing with someone who's fluent in like three languages. Take your pick. Right. You know? Yeah, it's extremely interesting. I think uh, one thing I'd like to also add to that is... Um, that's why it's very helpful at the beginning to learn how do you say and what does X mean in the mm -hmm. foreign language? Because I feel like I can have a conversation completely in Hungarian with like maybe I know a hundred words or a few hundred words mm -hmm. at most just by knowing how to ask what a certain word means or what a, how to say a word. Mm -hmm. So those two give you so much mileage. You know, if you go up to someone and say, how do you say the grass is greener on the other side in Hungarian or whatever, mm -hmm. you right. know. Um, so that that's just my comment. And I, I just recently started doing this. Uh, I almost call it like language hunting, mm -hmm. uh, where let's say, let's forget that I'm studying Hungarian. Let's uh, go for the Russian that I'm also studying. If I had to go find Russian speakers here in Budapest, it wouldn't be impossible. I've had I have heard it, but it would kind of be a hunt, you know, a little bit. Um, I had to uh, to hunt it a little bit and. That's also kind of funny. I was thinking about doing like a, a YouTube series about that. Just have someone film me as I go hunting for my languages in Budapest. Um, kind of a language safari in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what we can uh, come up with. That could be that could be a lot of fun. But uh, for you, it's probably a little bit easier because you, you know where the concentrations are. And, and mm. also, you know, it's easier to see if, if somebody is from Somalia or the U.S., whereas... You know, Hungarian and Russian people can be very similarly looking. So mm -hmm. I could look for years and I'd probably uh, pass by thousands of Russian people and I wouldn't have you know, any idea. 
Well, I used to, when I, I was in grad school, my first time in grad school, I was in New York. And so my buddy and I would go to Manhattan and I, I had a game, I called it Russian spotting. And, uh, <laughs> and I would just, I would like, look, I would just keep my eyes open and I would look and look, see if I found a Russian. And then the way I would kind of cast my line, so to speak, I would just say, Здравствуйте. Just to see what would happen. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> if I got someone who like looks super surprised, then I'm like, okay, I got one. I was and I got pretty good at it after a while. Cause actually one of the things is when you start doing that, you start realizing that you can identify them if you try. And um, so that's been something I've been uh, uh, like after doing Somali and stuff, I realized I can tell the difference between Somalis and Ethiopians. There's a lot of Ethiopians here in uh, uh, in the Twin Cities, and I can tell the difference. And then I took a class in Oromo, which is the um, the, the biggest uh, ethnic group in um, Ethiopia. And so I just learned how to say a couple of phrases. But <clears throat> I started noticing like some differences in how Oromo look from other Ethiopians. But it's using the languages that really kind of got me into understanding and and looking for those differences and um so and and the thing is that <clears throat> i think aromo a, a is a good example of this <clears throat> excuse me because you know aromo is a language that's not only no one has ever heard of it in the u.s but it's a language that's um that's repressed in uh in ethiopia and um so there's some political there's some politics around it and I don't want to get into the politics, but one thing that I found is that, you know, just by speaking, you know, two words of that language, um, like people really, really appreciate it. And I realized that, you know, I'm, you know, my, 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 you know, we've only lived in Minnesota for three years, but for anyone, you know, all these Somalis and Ethiopians who've been here for 15 years, um, we seem more Minnesotan than they are because simply they're, we're white and we're native English speakers those two things make us make us fit in more. So I realized that from being in a position of um, kind of power that way, since I am white and I speak English natively, I have a good education, I have a good family uh, that I can draw from if I need help. I have so many advantages and things like that. Why not, like I told these people, the NGO network, use my resources to help them feel more at home. How do I use my love of languages in order to uh, connect with them in order to help them feel better? You know, one of my favorite stories was um, my friend's dad. I, I, I grew up in Denver. And there's a lot of uh, uh, Mexicans and, and Central Americans in Denver. And my friend's dad spoke Spanish fluently. He, he was not a native speaker, but he learned it in college and spent time in Spain and stuff. And he was a real estate appraiser. So he would have to go to people's houses and knock on the door and, you know, go and measure their houses and stuff. And naturally, you know, people who are suspicious of the government or people <laughs> who are not very familiar with the, the culture or something, they don't want to let some random person come in the house. We spoke fluent Spanish, so he would get in there and he could do his business. He made friends with the people and then he would leave, you know, it was a nice time. And one time at his church, there were some people who wanted to start up uh, uh, something to help out immigrants. So they decided, um, they were going to do uh, um, English as a second language class for immigrants so they could learn English. And he said, you know what? Actually, those people, they prefer, they prefer speaking Spanish. They're not that interested in English. <laughs> so if you really wanna do something for them, 
then you get a teacher and sit your butt in the chair and you learn Spanish. And I really took this to heart and said like, you know, I know English already. English is easy. These people have to struggle through English, even if, I mean, I know some people who've been here 10 years, Somali people, you can barely hear their accent. They're really good. But why not make the effort to say like, you know what? I'm going to put forth a tiny bit of the effort that you put forth in learning my language so I can speak with you. I want to make you feel more welcome. Not only that, I want your children to see, like we were talking before, how do you encourage the kids? I want your small children to see like, look, your language is something that's not just isolated to your house. Mm. In, you know, your language is something that is worth not only speaking, if you know it, but even putting effort in to learn. And so, you know, a lot of what I think about outside of language learning is about power dynamics and about how the powerful treat the, the weak. And um, I, I used to uh, be a professor of comparative religion. And so I saw this in a lot of different religions and my, my uh, education and my interests are mainly in the Bible. But I've looked at a lot of different religions when I was teaching at uh, uh, different universities. And you just see this time and time again is that human beings um, misuse power, uh, you know, 100% of the time, you know, there's always some misuse of power. And if we're in a privileged position, how do we make the effort to help those who are in need, help those who are struggling? And I found since, hey, I've been a language guy since, you know, well, we did the math, since I was 12 years old or 13 years old, um, why not use that in a way that I can turn the power dynamic upside down and rather be the guy with the power and the knowledge, be the guy who misspeaks, can't say where he was born, and is trying to figure out how to just, you know, get his way through, why are you speaking Somali? And, um, and in, in, in so doing, um, make someone feel more welcome, make someone feel more at home, make someone feel more visible, make someone feel more respected. Why not do that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I, I, I was very fascinated. I went to your talk in New York, and I was very fascinated with the whole concept because... And perhaps that shows the importance of the topic, because even I, as a sort of, you know, aspiring polyglot, didn't really think so much about this community learning. Um, when I was living in Denmark, yeah, it did. When I was thinking about what languages to learn, it did slightly cross my mind to think about, you know, what kind of populations do we have here in Denmark? Not exactly known for being super diverse, but we do have a, a quite a substantial, you know, immigration population. And guess what? There's tensions between, you know, the immigration and the uh, the population because, I mean, it's some form of racism, obviously, but, you know, it's kind of, um, we don't really know the others very well. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, as you were talking now, I was just thinking, man, integration would be so much easier if like the, you know, the people who live there just took some time to learn the other language because that also gives you the culture and that brings people together over a common, you know, you can even split it up. Like, you, you, of course, you want to learn the language of the country you live in, in most cases. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'll learn your language as well, just to see where you're coming from and like what kind of background do you have for learning Danish? And if more people spoke the language of the immigrants, I'm sure it would be mm -hmm. a much nicer environment. Yeah. When of, the, I don't know how yeah. it is in the, the US, but in Denmark, it's very like they're very sort of concentrated in, in one area and 
you see a lot of immigrants in that area, but not so many uh, you know, Danes. So the problem is that you get these almost like a country within a country, and that's just a that's just a shame, isn't it? It it it's uh it's a shame, but it can be a great opportunity too because you, you know I know that like um you know when I know it's time like because of family responsibilities and work responsibilities, I don't get to do it so much. But you know when I'm like I want to practice Somali, I know where I'm going. Right. I'm going to Cedar Riverside. Cedar Riverside is where they're at, and I know you know there's a concentration of several blocks. We have a a Somali mall. I just have to show up at the Somali mall, and that's yeah. how many people you know as many people as i can find i got so in some ways you know for someone who um who thirsts for um adventure and practicing languages and stuff like that i think for a lot of us the uncharted territory are those neighborhoods you know go and like when i have to go downtown for stuff you know sometimes these are poorer areas the immigrant areas where people feel uncomfortable and stuff I am so excited. <laughs> you know, I love going to those parts of town. Um, in uh, in Denver, you go to Aurora, which is, you know, not a. It, it's just kind of a suburb of, uh, you know, not a lot of a lot of condos and you know, not really such a beautiful area, but cheap. And so, when for immigrants first come to Denver area, a lot of them go to Aurora. You can find so many different languages. Last time I was going through there and just. East African and um, East in East Indian, you know, Bengali and stuff you see. And um, there's uh, back in the 90s, a lot of Russians. I don't think as many Russians live there anymore. Um, and you can see like, and it's like, this is a bonanza rather than like a bunch of ugly strip malls. <laughs> yeah, going on, or just if you live, if you visit a big city uh, like New York, if you go on the subway, I mean, there's a million different languages being spoken oh, yeah. there. I mean, there were several times I couldn't even identify the language or like what it was. And uh -huh. usually I'm pretty good at, at listening and guessing, even though I don't know that many languages. But mm -hmm. there were just sometimes I'm like, I have no idea. And the same in, in London, very diverse, lots of languages. And, mm -hmm. um, but you can always find it, of course, if you look for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really the, I think that's really what, what it is. And, and, you know, put it this way, um, how often do you hear people speaking with an accent? Yeah, often, right? Start, yeah, often. So that's where you, that's that's a great place to start, and just saying like, what lang you know, hey, what what languages do do you speak? And some people I know they they get sensitive. It's like, ugh, I've lived here for thirty. I had a someone in my company. He's like, ugh, I've lived here for thirty years, and people are still asking me where I'm from, you know. And <laughs> um, and so he was a little bit exasperated. He was much higher on the hierarchy than me too, so probably a little bit dangerous for me, but. Um, but I'm like, no, I, what I, I said, you speak this, this, and this language, right? Because I think I talked, because I talked with another guy who said there's three people who come from this ethnic group in our company, and I think you're one of them, no? And <laughs> so I'm probably going out on a limb there, but then he's like, oh, yeah, and uh, ends up, you know, he doesn't just speak one language. He's, he came to the U.S. speaking three languages. Of course, yeah. But and so, and, and you recognize it's like you put in a lot of work, you have a lot of knowledge. Why don't we acknowledge that why don't we we use that why don't we celebrate that why don't we in is a polyglot why don't we enjoy the heck out of it yeah i i, I definitely do uh, right now with uh, hungarian just going down to the subway <clears throat> oh my god i've got something in my throat but hopefully i'll survive um going down to the subway and you know just ordering in hungarian and having no idea how to say sup of the day just asking how do you say sup of the day and it mm -hmm. turns out Hungarian for sub of the day is a lot easier 
then there's some of the day in English. So there you go. I mean, there's <laughs> an example in Hungarian, you just say nappy sandwich, which is nap, nap is day. And the I at the end makes it like of and nappy sandwich. It's <laughs> way easier than saying go. sandwich of the day or sub of the day. <laughs> um, and and they they just get huge smiles because the, it's a tourist area, so they never used to any tourist taking any kind of uh, effort to learn to learn Hungarian. So it, it it's just funny, and you feel like you've conquered the world afterwards. I don't know where right. this comes from, but I just sat down and I was like, I can do anything now. I ordered my sandwich in Hungarian. I mean, what did you do today? You know. <laughs> well, and I think that's great, Chris, that that you do that, and you know, in an area where they don't expect you to, where they're perfectly capable of speaking English to you, especially yeah. talking about the menu you know, but to make that effort and to see like how it's appreciated. That's, that's what I think it's like as language learners, um, we see time and time again, how much our efforts are appreciated. If we make that kind of the motivation for what we do, um, you know, it's like, I want to figure out ways that I can, you know, who are the people who are most beat down around here and stuff like that? You know, I was, I was teasing somebody because uh, when they announced the next polyglot conference was going to be in Thessaloniki, you know, people are like, who's going to learn Greek? Right. I kept saying like, I kept putting out there like, who's going to learn Arabic and Kurdish, you know? <laughs> and because I had a, I had such a fascinating experience when I was in Greece last summer, I was there on vacation before I knew the, the polyglot conference was going to be in Greece next year. You were there scouting um, it out. We know, we know. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. They drew on my extensive knowledge. Yeah. But I took the train from uh, from Athens to Thessaloniki, which I had taken back in the 90s last time I was in Greece. And now I find out that people who have any kind of money, they they fly because it's just like an hour flight and you don't have to worry about strikes and weather conditions and that sort of thing. So I just took the train by default because that's what I thought that I would do. And so we and so it was mostly, you know, poor people on the on the train. And sitting across from me, there was a, a family and they were talking to each other. And it, again, like what you were saying, it was a language I couldn't identify. I didn't know what it was. And so I thought, is it Albanian maybe? Because, you know, and especially in Northern Greece, there's so many Albanians and stuff. And I'm like, what is this? So I turned to the young man and I said, uh, uh, do you speak English? Because I'd heard the, the snack cart lady was speaking to him in English. I was like, oh, do you speak English? And he said, he shook his head no and pointed to his, the, the young woman sitting next to him. And, uh, and I said, what language were you speaking? And he said, uh, Turkish. Oh, sorry, Kurdish. And, uh, and I said, oh, Kurdish. And I said, Arabi. Uh, do you speak Arabic? And he said, oh, yes, there were Syrian refugees um, from, uh, um, uh, where were they from? Kobani, and which is right on the border of uh, Syria and Turkey. And so we started talking and we were speaking in Arabic. And, um, you know, I was able to understand a lot about what was going on, made that personal connection. You know, it's beyond the headlines. You know, here's a family. It's a guy and his aunt and his uncle and his cousin who are traveling together. Um, and so I'm able to say hello to his uncle, who's an elderly guy. These people have been through so much. I mean, saw this young woman and she looked like she's probably 19 going on 40. I mean, she looked like young and old at the same time. And it was a five hour train ride and she looked completely exhausted and didn't sleep the entire time. And it was so heavy to see, you know, because this was before that. I mean, this was back in uh, um, June before a lot of the, you know, the, before the waves of the 
immigrants coming across the Mediterranean really hit the news. And it was so touching to hear the story of what this family had been through. And his wife and kids were in Turkey. His parents stayed back in Syria to protect the, the, the home, but they left because the PKK and, the, and, and ISIS were you know, potentially coming to a head there. So they wanted to get out before there was fighting. Yeah. But you know, where he worked and stuff, I had been to Syria, so we knew a couple places in comedy. He's like, oh yeah, I used to work there. The, you know, at the, I, I was uh, at a, um, I was visiting a monastery uh, in the, in kind of the, towards the north. He's like, oh yeah, I used to work there. He's like, the Kurds and the Christians, we got along so well. Um, you know, it's such a pity now, things that are going on. And then afterwards, I turned to my daughter who was with me. She's uh, 13. And I said, see the importance of learning languages. You know, you get to have these kinds of conversations. And she said to me, yes, dad, I'll never travel anywhere without you. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not the point. You learn the languages. So, um, but so, you know, in going to Greece, what are we, what conversations do we want to hear? Right. What conversations do we want to have? Uh, what do we want to be listening to? Who do we want to be connecting with? And once you make, once you ask that question, the next language then becomes uh, clearer. But we can all, as language learners, be conscious. Who do I want to connect with? Do I want to use my power for uh, for helping those who are weaker? And this whole power dynamic, it's something that's that's very near and dear to me. And I, I have my, my uh, you and I talked about it, you know, I have my podcast that I do on the Bible, which is not a religious podcast. It's really trying to talk about the Bible itself as, as lit, it's called the Bible as literature. But really what my friend and I are trying to explore there is how do we have these ancient, do we have this ancient literature that's commenting on power dynamics within our society. So that's why it's near and dear to me. But as someone who's, you know, a congenital uh, language learner, how do I incorporate, how do I incorporate my understanding of these power dynamics with my love of languages? And that's really what I try to bring. Right. I find it very cool, though, that the whole, um, that, you know, the learned Greek, even though it's kind of a dominant language anyway, but it, I find it really cool that after the conference, it's like, Okay, let's learn the language of where we're going. I thought that was a, a pretty good idea and, and touch. Personally, I won't be uh, I won't be doing it because uh, <laughs> I don't, I have other languages to learn right now. But no, it's just very fascinating to see, and I guess people are really obsessed, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> to put it mildly, uh, in a good way. Um, but mm -hmm. you have all these people where you know, they, which they see we're going to Greece, it's like, okay, they're going to go pick up the teach yourself or the colloquial, or, you know, just get going on, on the Greek, but obviously a big language. So it, it does make sense to, mm -hmm. uh, to get to it. Wow. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end here of this uh, long episode with Richard Benton. I really hope you enjoyed this first part and uh, stay tuned for the next one coming uh, to you next week and if you're listening to this in the future later than december 2015 the second episode is already up look for season three episode 10 and uh, enjoy the rest of this conversation take care thank you for listening to the actual fluency podcast 